I invite you to turn with me in Holy Scripture to the Gospel according to Luke. I'm sorry, the Gospel according to Mark. We are in Mark, not Luke. Although Luke is a good read as well. Mark chapter 8. And our sermon text today is verses 1 through 26. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of the Lord. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came. And began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand And led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home to his village, and he sent him home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
Amen. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's passage includes the story of Jesus miraculously feeding 4,000 people, a great multitude. But less than two chapters ago, which was a while ago for us because we've been through Advent and we took a break from Mark, less than two chapters ago, we saw almost the exact same thing happen. The location is a little different. The crowd is made up of different people. The number of people is slightly different, although they're all multitudes. And the number of the loaves and the number of the fish are also slightly different. But pretty much every other detail is the same. Some of the very words that are used in the story are exactly the same. Strikingly familiar stories. Why are they both in this gospel? Well, I want you to lay these two stories down next to each other. Like two train tracks lying parallel with each other. And if we do that, then we'll see that actually these tracks end up, in terms of a story, they end up merging and arriving at the same destination. One track is the feeding of the 5,000. That's back in chapter 6. Feeding of the 5,000. And along the way then, after that, Jesus then heals a deaf and mute man. We just read about that last week in chapter 7. On the other parallel track is the feeding of the 4,000 that we just read. And then, in the same passage that we've just read, the healing of the blind man. He now has sight. Two feedings lead to two encounters where Jesus makes men able to understand. He gives them open ears and open eyes. That's the key to understanding why both of these stories are in the gospel. They are told in such a way, structured in such a way, as to confront us, the reader, with Jesus' own questions in verses 17 and following, when he says, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not understand? Do you not remember the loaves? That's the question he asks of his disciples. And those same questions come to us today, 2,000 years later. You have seen in this gospel the bread. You have seen the loaves. Now will you understand what it means? Or will you be blind to the Savior who provides abundantly and satisfies the needs of weary sinners? Will you see the bread and then be blind with no understanding? Or will you understand and be satisfied in him? Well, in order to find satisfaction in Jesus, just like we saw these great multitudes of people satisfied by him, we have to come to true understanding of him. And so we must learn to reject the things that cloud that understanding. How do we do that? How do we come to Jesus with open ears and clear eyesight? to embrace him and to find satisfaction in him. Well, 
We reject some things, and we rely on some things. And this morning, I want us to look at two things from this passage that we must reject, and one thing in particular that we must rely on. And the first thing is that we must reject religious and spiritual leaven. Religious and spiritual leaven. Jesus, in this passage, says to beware of two kinds of leaven. And the first one that we are looking at here is the leaven of the Pharisees, which I'm calling, just for the sake of clarity, religious and spiritual leavens. Look with me at verses 14 through 21. This is Jesus now with the disciples in the boat. And it says, beginning in verse 14, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. Uh, Excuse me, they said twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? You can see here in this kind of funny conversation between Jesus and the disciples, the connection between the miracles of the bread and spiritual blindness in the disciples. After feeding thousands of people, thousands of people, more more people than live in this town, Jesus has provided food with just a measly few loaves and fish. And he's done it twice. Okay, the, the count in both of these stories is just the men. So there's women and children in both of these stories. Multitudes of people. After he's done this twice, with his disciples there with him, participating in the miracle, they are concerned about only having a single loaf of bread with them. Jesus presses them to understand then what the bread means. The bread has meaning behind it. What he has done with the bread and these miracles, it means something. And he says to them, in order to press them in this direction, to realize its meaning, to see that there's something symbolic going on here, he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, kids, we've just used this word leaven several times. Leaven is what bakers use to make bread. It causes a loaf of bread to rise. That's what leaven does. And what's so cool about leaven is that just a tiny bit of leaven works its way through all the dough and causes the whole loaf to rise. That's what leaven does. Now think about the teachings of Jesus like a loaf of bread. He says to beware because the Pharisees have a wicked leaven, a corrupt leaven, and that is going to ruin the real stuff, the actual loaf that is good and satisfies. If if it's allowed to work its way in, it will ruin the loaf unless that leaven is rejected. So what is the leaven of the Pharisees? 
If we are to sum it up, based on what we've seen of these Pharisees in this gospel, the leaven of the Pharisees is their hard-hearted disposition toward Jesus. He heals and restores on the Sabbath, and they say he's a false teacher. He turns aside from their very, very strict traditions, and he says, they say he's unclean. He casts out a demon, and they say he's the one with the demon. And he's doing these miracles by the power of demons. Jesus feeds thousands with bread from heaven, and now here in verse 11 of our passage, they demand a sign from heaven. It is religiously clothed hard-heartedness. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. And Jesus is concerned about it because he already sees this hard-heartedness in his own disciples. That's why he asks that question in this whole series of questions. In verse 17, are your hearts hardened? And indeed, if you turn back just to chapter 6, verse 52, we read, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. That's after the first miracle of the loaves. They're not understanding quite yet who this man is, what his claims are, and the power that resides with him. They don't understand. Their hearts are hardened. And if they continue to allow this leaven of the Pharisees to work its way through, it's going to spoil the whole loaf. And when this happens, if it is to happen with his disciples, they're going to find satisfaction in someone else. Or in something else. Uh, Like Judas is going to later in this gospel. Now there are different aspects of this leaven. The most prominent aspect of the Pharisees' leaven is legalism. Legalism. Legalism is when you think you can earn the favor of God. And it's really any attempt to earn the favor of God. It can look very traditional... And, uh, and, and kind of stiff, or it can look really trendy. But any, any uh, attempt to earn the favor of God by, by showing off to Him, by doing works in order to get His favor, that is legalism. And brothers and sisters, many will tell you that your worth in God's eyes is bound up in what great things you can do for Him. That is not true. Your worth is securely resting in Jesus Christ alone. It is His obedience that makes you righteous. His, not yours. Do you do good works? Of course you do. You are commanded to. But it is because you have already been called righteous through Jesus Christ alone. And that righteousness is to be received by grace alone. And through the instrument of faith alone, not by works. It cannot be received by works. Can you receive anything by works? No, because working is an offensive action. Faith is a passive action. You open your hands and you receive what God gives to you. That leaven must be rejected in all of its forms. You cannot earn your way into the favor of God. He grants this favor by grace through His Son. Another aspect of the leaven of the Pharisees 
is the leaven of hypocrisy. We learned in chapter 7 that hypocrisy is religious and spiritual play-acting. It's like wearing a mask and trying to convince God that you really belong to him. And Jesus condemns the Pharisees about this kind of thing when he says, back in chapter 7, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. Our modern traditions tell us that the worship of God should look or feel like a concert or a circus or a TED Talk or the Super Bowl halftime show. Those are the traditions of men. But what does the scripture say? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. What do we find in the Bible when we ask, what should our worship be consisting of? We find word and sacrament. We find psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We find prayers that adore him and confess our sins to him and thank him and ask him for what we need. Those are the things that you find in the worship of the new covenant. And everything that we try to add to what the Bible says about worship, it's not some little thing. It's hypocrisy. It's religious play acting because we think we know better than God what he wants us to do in worship. It is the leaven of the Pharisees. And it is out of hard-heartedness and spiritual blindness that people try to go beyond the Scriptures to say what we ought to do in sacred worship. So we must always guard ourselves from this. The pressures are huge. We are superstitious at heart. We want to do things and call it worship that are not actually found in God's Word. But when we strip our man-made traditions away, what we find at last is Jesus Christ. Fully satisfying to our hearts, just as He is, not as we wish Him to be. We must reject the leaven of hypocrisy. Another aspect of leaven is the impulse to test God. To test God. In verses 11 and following, we read that the Pharisees came seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. In the Old Covenant, which is the time from Mount Sinai onward until Christ came, God told Moses that some self-proclaimed prophets would come amidst God's people and they were false. And they would have to have their claims to divine authority tested. Uh, you can find this in Deuteronomy 13 and other places in the, in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, this testing could be done through a miracle. If that prophet had, had uh, been given power from God to perform a miracle or through some great display of divine authority. For instance, the prophet Elijah calls fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. And uh, he is shown to be the true prophet. And the prophets of Baal are shown to be false prophets. So some great display meant to be a sign to confirm divine authority. 
And the reason why Jesus groans at this request is because he has long since proven his authority. The time for testing is done. It was done like a long time ago in this gospel. And the Pharisees have seen it time and again. This leaven of testing God and testing his son when we are not to do so is at work today wherever the gospel is not good enough for salvation. When we need Jesus to give us a sign beyond the ones he has already given in order for us to be convinced of his love or to be convinced that we ought to obey him. But dear brothers and sisters, his cross and empty tomb are signs enough His enthronement in the heavens is enough. He is enough. By virtue of his person and his majesty and his dignity, he is enough to convince us himself that we ought to love and worship and obey him. Do not make signs and wonders and miracles and nudges of the Holy Spirit or anything else from God the condition of your obedience to him. But obey And lean upon Him and increase your faith in Him and ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit whether you see signs and miracles and great wonders happening or not. Lest you be like the Pharisees who have all the signs they need and hard-heartedly demand more. Brothers and sisters, turn away from the leaven of the Pharisees. It comes clothed in religion and spirituality. It is opposed to Christ. Reject it. And be satisfied in Him. Cut off all that other stuff. You don't need it. You need Christ. Embrace Him and Him alone. And reject the leaven of the Pharisees. Secondly, we must reject also political and cultural leavens. And we have spent the majority of our time looking at the leaven of the Pharisees. This is a shorter point, but an important one. Verse 15 again. Jesus warns also of the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod. Remember that Herod Antipas, that's his name and title, he's a kind of governor over this region. Um, He's called a tetrarch over Galilee and a neighboring area. So basically the whole area where Jesus has been doing his ministry so far, um, for the most part, Herod is the governor over that. And though it might seem strange that Herod is linked with the Pharisees here, we've actually already seen them linked in their hatred for Christ. Back in chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus has just performed a miracle in front of the Pharisees. And here's what we read. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how to destroy him. Meaning people who, who were in, probably in the court of Herod. Um, at least those who were devotees to Herod. They had already conspired together to begin plans to destroy this new menace, Jesus Christ. But while the Pharisees represent a kind of religious hostility to Christ, Herod represents a more political and cultural kind of hostility to Jesus. Herod's leaven includes things like abusive power, Abuse of power. In chapter 6, we learn the terrible story of how Herod and his wife 
used their own authority to imprison and execute John the Baptist for no actual good reasons. Jesus says that when we are given authority in any sphere of our lives, we are not to act in such a way. He says the Gentiles who have authority lord it over those who are under their command. And it must not be so with you. Christ is a gracious and merciful king. So when we share in that authority in every sphere of our lives, we must also be merciful. We must be servants. Let that be the approach in our families and in our jobs and in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So abuse of power is one part of Herod's leaven that that we must reject. The leaven I want to focus on, especially when it comes to Herod, is the commitment to personal pleasure. Part of the leaven of Herod has to do with pleasure at all costs. Herod was technically Jewish, but we also learn back in chapter 6 that he was an unrepentant adulterer. He had stolen his brother's wife. That's why John the Baptist gets in trouble with him, because John the Baptist would have none of it. He was telling him that's wrong and wicked. And um, we learn that during a drunken banquet that Herod held for all the officials of his region, he takes perverse delight in his stepdaughter, who performs a dance for him and for the crowd. In all of this, we, we get here a man who shows us and reminds us that when we commit ourselves to pleasure at any cost, it actually leads to destruction. Destruction for others and destruction for ourselves. He represents the cultural doctrine that has won the day in our generation. If it feels good or feels right, then do it. I don't know if there's any other doctrine in our culture today that even comes close to that one. That is the one. And we must reject it as the leaven of Herod. In our nation, in the name of pursuit of pleasure and individuality and doing what is right for you, how many families have not been touched by addiction? How many families have not been touched by the confusion of gender ideology and all kinds of sexual ethics gone completely haywire to the destruction of many souls. They are false promises of pleasure. Loved ones in Christ, reject this leaven that you might find satisfaction and true godly pleasure in Jesus Christ. Don't just see Jesus and then analyze him and then come up with your own doctrines but see and understand who he is. Embrace him so that you would satisfy the longings of your soul. Those are the rejections that we must come to terms with. Jesus says, beware of these leavens. They are alive and at work today. They are causing loaves to rise everywhere around the world. Reject them. But now more positively, we must rely on Christ for deeper understanding. The whole problem here that we're finding is hard-heartedness. Where do we then get soft-heartedness and understanding? We get it by constant, deeper reliance on Christ. And that understanding that we are looking for often comes gradually. 
gradually. The pattern in the Gospel of Mark has been so far miracle and then misunderstanding. Miracle and then misunderstanding. He performs something and nobody really gets it. They like it. They don't really get it. And here again, the loaves bear witness to Jesus that he is the Christ, but the disciples still aren't fully seeing it. They'll begin to see it next week. Jesus, or Peter will say, you are the Christ. They'll begin to see it, but not yet. They are blind. And so Jesus' healing of the blind man in verses 22 through 26, just like the healing of the deaf and mute man last week, shows us what it often looks like for followers of Christ to begin to truly understand who he is. This miracle really happened, and it is symbolic. It is both. Jesus, again, performs this healing in in a, a very unusual way. He is able to heal with a mere word. He can do it. He has done it. That's how he mostly does it. He says a word and it's done. But instead, just like with the deaf man, he makes this a very personal encounter. Using saliva, he touches the man's eyes. And like his question to the disciples about, do you have eyes but you're not, you can't see in front of you? Jesus says to the man, do you see anything? You were blind. Are you beginning to see anything? And the man begins to see, but what he sees is not quite accurate. In verse 24, it must be men, he says, because they look like trees walking. And so Jesus touches his eyes again. And we read in verse 25, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Brothers and sisters, how does Jesus heal blindness? Sometimes immediately. But here in this story, gradually. And he often heals blindness gradually. That, was, that is how it is with many of the people in your lives that you know don't know the Lord Jesus yet. Their understanding about Jesus is blurry. People so often see him with gradual clarity, one step at a time. So do not lose heart in your prayers for those in your life whom you love who do not know Jesus yet, but entrust them to a faithful Savior and continue to pray for them and be patient with them. Losing your patience with them will do no good since it is only the Holy Spirit who can take the scales off their eyes, but also losing, losing patience confirms that we are not willing to see that Jesus often heals step by step and gradually. They might see something, but not with full illumination. They might hear about the bread that Christ offers, but they haven't seen that only he satisfies. So rely on Jesus himself. You must rely on him for this deeper understanding. And so it is with you. Though you know Christ, though you have found him to be the all-satisfying Savior, There are still things in the Christian life that don't make sense. There are teachings in his word that are difficult. There are trials that you go through in your life that are baffling to you. In order to find understanding, you must rely on Jesus Christ. And that understanding may only come gradually. Perhaps you'll have to wait for a new creation before you understand fully. 
But you must rely on him if there's to be any understanding at all. Don't be tempted in the midst of these things. When you are baffled, don't be tempted to go looking for bread somewhere else. Don't let the corrupted leavens of our day, which are ancient leavens, to work its way through the loaf and spoil what can only satisfy. Rely on your Savior and spiritual understanding will come. Perhaps quickly, but probably gradually. So brothers and sisters, hold to the word of God. Ask for the Spirit's help to see with truly open spiritual eyes and truly open spiritual ears. Live out this faith with the community of believers who can help you along the way and wait for the Spirit to give you the understanding that you desire. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray now that you would plant the seed of your word deep in the soil of our hearts and cause it to bear fruit. Help us to be not mere hearers of the word, but doers also. We ask in the name of Christ, who with the Father and the Spirit is worthy of all praise and glory, world without end. Amen.